right. Praise the Lord. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out here this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's give our fathers a hand clap of uh, honor this morning. How's that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's a different Father's Day, isn't it? Hallelujah. Turn to Psalms 103, verse 13. Psalms 103, verse 13. It says, I really want you to think about this first little phrase that starts this. It says, as a father. So, this scripture is saying, just like a father would do, I'm using his, him as an example. This is what God is going to do. Okay, it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, you truly are our Heavenly Father, Lord, and you're greater uh, than any father could ever be, Lord God. We, we want to be just like you, Lord. And I pray that this message, Lord God, would reveal your heart, Lord. You would speak your heart to your people, Lord, and uh, those who are far off from you, Lord. Let them hear your voice today, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now I can see an inherent problem in this verse immediately. Did you, did you spot it? What if you never had compassion from a father? How many think that happens in this world? Maybe you have a father and maybe that father really does love you, but he doesn't know how to show it. Or maybe that father loves you, but the relationship with the mother is complicated. I mean, think all these things happen. Maybe the father loves you, but he has strain and stress and things in his life that he can't seem to get past depression, anxiety. How many think that happens? And so he may not show compassion, or you may not even have a father, period and not even know who your father is or who the individual is. And so now you're reading this verse, and it says, As a father, as your father showed you compassion, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so we have a lot of people that are reading that verse, and some people had a father that showed compassion to them. And love them and, 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 and it's easy to look at the verse and say, Oh my goodness. Yeah. God loves me like that and even more. And you're excited because you know that God loves you. But today we want to sort through how to receive the Lord's compassion when maybe that example wasn't there to begin with. How many think that's important in the society that we live in? We've got to, understand, um, because God says in another place, he says, I will be a father to who? 
the fatherless. And so God wants to take those that didn't have that compassion, and how great of a Father's Day would it be to introduce you to the best father you could ever have, and for those who never had one, the greatest father that you could ever have. Hallelujah. But it's amazing that this example is what God uses, and that makes this particular role as a father a very important role. And you say to yourself, well, man, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't have kids, or I don't have uh, young kids, or I don't have a family, and, and I'm single. And, and uh, can I tell you something? There is a whole world of people that are missing a father and they're wounded terribly and they're looking for somebody to show them the compassion that they didn't get from their father. In fact, there are a lot of young women in the world and it's very well known among psychologists that one of the issues that a lot of young women have is they've never been loved by a father and they're looking everywhere for it. They're looking for the wrong, in the wrong places for somebody to care about them, somebody to love them. And those people need the love of a father introduced in their life. There are a lot of young men that are very unstable because they never had a relationship with their father. And if they're not introduced to the father, and in a spirit of our father, in the heart of our father, we don't love them that way, they'll never know a father. Amen? So it's a responsibility of all of us to understand this, whether you're a father or not. We need to understand the compassion of the father and what he wants to pour on the people that are around us. How many think a lot of bad attitudes that are around you during the day at work and in the grocery store and different places you go are rooted in the fact that people are still angry about their childhood? Rooted in the fact they never had a relationship with their father. And I'm going to address some of those issues today, because we've got to look sometimes a little deeper uh, than the attitudes we see in front of us. We've got to look a little deeper into people's hearts and see where they've been wounded uh, very badly. But I want to start off with an example. Um, Some of you who follow sports and know a little bit about the history of basketball, you'll know two players um, that were the best of their era, and their names were Wilt Chamberlain, how many have ever heard of Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell? How many have ever heard of Bill Russell? Um, and these two players, they, uh, in fact, uh, a lot of you may not know this, uh, but the most valuable player award for the NBA Finals, the championship of the NBA, the trophy that's given to the most valuable player, what is the name of it? It's named after one of the two. Anybody know the name of it? What's that? The Bill Russell Award for Most Valuable Player. This is not the championship. Uh, I think it's Larry O'Brien, isn't it, for the championship trophy or something like that? But Bill Russell is the most valuable player of the NBA Finals is Bill Russell, not Wilt Chamberlain. Everybody knows Wilt Chamberlain. But very few people know about Bill Russell. Now listen to this. Bill Russell played in the NBA for 13 seasons. He went to the finals 12 times in 13 years. He won 11 championships, and he won eight straight titles. 
You say, well, man, I don't know. Michael Jordan probably won a lot more than that, didn't he? I think Michael Jordan won six in probably 12 years, 13 years, something like that. Bill Russell's considered the greatest winner ever to play in the NBA, and that's why the finals trophy for the most valuable players named after him. And there are arguments about who was a more valuable player. Because Wilt Chamberlain, there was nobody quite like Wilt Chamberlain to ever play in basketball. And you say, well, Jordan might have been better. Some of you guys don't know the history well enough. Okay, Wilt Chamberlain, for an entire season, averaged 50 points a game. You know, a 50-point game is very rare in the NBA. Wilt Chamberlain averaged over 50 points a game for a season. And he was a terrible free-throw shooter. If that guy could have shot free throws, he probably would have averaged 60, and I'm not even joking. That's actually a fact. Um, Wilt Chamberlain um, is the only guy in the history of NBA to score 100 points in a game. 100 points in a basketball game in a professional league. The best basketball players in the world, he scored 100. And he broke records that, that will never be probably surpassed ever. Uh, the year that he averaged 50 points a game, he was not the MVP that year. Bill Russell was and averaged 19 points a game. Isn't that interesting? So the title of my sermon is Most Valuable Player. Because when we talk about a family, we um, the mother is extremely important and probably does more and day-to-day life, a mother is probably much more important than the things a dad does. But how many know the dads are the most valuable players? Their presence allows that family to succeed if they have the right frame of mind. And I'll give you an example of how this is going to play in this analogy. Wilt Chamberlain was all about breaking records. You ever watch his career and his interviews? Everything was about his records. In fact, he got so mad one year because they said he wasn't a good passer that he decided he was going to lead the league in assists. And he led the league in assists. That's how good of a passer he was, but he never would pass. Um, Bill Russell really didn't care how many points he scored. He just wanted to win. In fact, he would actually get sick before and after games if Bill Russell felt like he'd let his teammates down and didn't try hard enough. He would actually be vomiting in the, in the, in the locker room because he felt like he let his teammates down because he didn't work hard enough. Wilt Chamberlain really didn't care. <laughs> in fact, he tore locker rooms apart. He, uh, he, he got coaches fired. He didn't get along with very many people in the locker room. He wasn't a very good teammate. He was all about stats and not necessarily ever about winning. In fact, the way they blocked shots were, were really unique. Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain are two of the greatest shot blockers ever. And Wilt Chamberlain, when he blocked a shot, you knew it. I mean, he would send it. He was a great volleyball player, too. And he would send the basketballs way up into the stands. And everybody would be like, whoa, whoa, did you see that? And he had a lot of attitude. And, and uh, he would just, you know, really make an emphatic point that I just blocked your shot. Uh, Bill Russell, they say, almost never uh, hit the ball out of play. Every time he blocked a shot, he was very cautious 
to keep the ball in play and send it to the other end of the court where they could score a basket. On a fast break, Bill Russell was known to be one of the greatest passers on a fast break. He would get the ball as quickly as possible up the court so somebody else could score. He was known with his teammates to be all about helping them get better to win the game. I need you to be better at this. I need you to be better at that. I need you to be in place. When I get the rebound, I'm going to set you up to score. And Bill Russell was a valuable player. In fact, if you lined him up, there's very few people in that era that would say, if I'm building a championship team, I'll take Chamberlain over Russell. Very rare would somebody say that, and that's very unusual because Will Chamberlain is the biggest, strongest, probably the greatest athlete ever to play in the league. And you say, well, what's that have to do with being a dad? Because the question is, on those Celtic teams, if you were to put Chamberlain on those teams and take Russell off of those teams, would they still succeed? And the reason I call dad the most valuable player is because he's in the position as leader of the household. And the quality of the person that's leading the household is going to determine the success of everybody in that household. And so we need people that have a heart like Bill Russell that says, I want everybody to succeed. I want to sacrifice myself for the success of the people that are in this household. And you say, well, man, I don't have a household, so just preach to somebody else. Church, this is the household of faith. The attitude that we have when we come into church is going to be one of those two attitudes. Either we're trying to constantly show how great we are, or we're constantly trying to bring out the greatness in other people. We're trying to pour into people, or we're trying to pour into ourselves. We're trying to do great things for God, or we're trying to do great things for ourselves. And this says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I mean, no, God wants us to be the type of people that show compassion to other people and want to see their lives better. Everything we do in the household of the Lord is to pour out to other people. Not just here in this house, but out in the public. And um, But something has happened in America. And if you were to ask people, put your finger on the three most important issues in America right now, I would say very easily, number one is, we have forgot about God. We've turned our back on God. We've turned our back on being obedient to God in this nation. Number two, it would be hard to convince me otherwise that it's not fatherlessness in America. Very difficult to, to say that it's something different than being fatherless. And you say, well, why is that so important? And how do you make your, your case that it is a very big problem in the world? Well, there are segments of our population right now. In fact, I think the national average is at least 40% of homes that don't have a father. There are some um, categories of people right now that are as high as 70%. Many that are in 60% range. Now I want you to imagine that. Ten homes, there are some areas of our society right now that seven out of the ten homes do not have a father. 
And you say, well, man, those three must really be doing well. I'm not even talking about the homes that have fathers that aren't engaged to to their family. That aren't, you know, got some other thing distracting them from their family. And, and, And church, can I tell you, it's the number one, besides falling away from God, it is one of the number one things that we've got to address in our society. In fact, we would not have the unrest on the streets we have if there were fathers that were engaged in their kids. In fact, if my child, and they're all here today, so if they hear this, they probably will know this is true without me saying, if my kids were ever to get smart with an officer or were ever to insult or do something negative to an authority, not just a police officer, but a school teacher, uh, even a clerk at the grocery store, if they treated somebody who was disabled in a bad way, if they treated somebody of a different color a different way, and said something that insulted another person, guess who they're going to have to deal with? Me. And how many know there are a lot of homes in America they don't have that? They don't have anybody reinforcing that. In fact, it says uh, God shows compassion on His children, like God shows us, and like God shows us compassion on those that fear Him. You better believe they fear me. And I'm not saying that. To, I'm just saying a father that really loves his family. There will be some form of respect that my dad will not be very happy if he finds out I behave that way. And when you have a whole generation of kids that have never had that experience, they don't have somebody at home reinforcing morality, reinforcing what's right and what's wrong, reinforcing that this is how we behave, and if you don't listen, you're going to go into a a whole mess in life. It's going to destroy your life, and you won't have a good life if you don't obey my instructions. And so we have a whole generation, but how did we get here? Because sometimes we don't study history, and we don't know anything beyond our generation, and so we don't even understand, how did I get here? Or has it always been this way? Has it always been like this? And church, let me give you just a little bit of a... um, timeline on how we got where we're at. Number one, there's always been sin in the world, right? Everybody understands that. Sin didn't just pop up in the 1940s, all right? This, there's always been sin in this nation, and guess what? Every other nation in the world. But in the 1950s, now I'm, I'm addressing fatherlessness here, and so you've got to follow me here where we're going. How did we become a society where certain segments are 40 to 70% without fathers? The 1950s, if you were to get pregnant out of wedlock, you know what the reaction was? It was heavily stigmatized in society. In fact, they would do what they term positive peer pressure. And so a sin was committed that somebody had sexual relations out of wedlock, but if that person were to get pregnant, then the entire society would shun that person. 
In fact, the schools even would. Everybody would, and they would nearly force that person to be married because they the sin was committed. And I'm not saying that was right or that was wrong. I'm just saying that's how society dealt with it. They knew that a sin was committed, and so there was pressure from the community that, hey, we don't do that. Now you've already committed one sin. Now try not to commit another one. And so they would actually shun that. And it was considered by society to be a negative thing. And then we got into the 60s. And there's something called the sexual revolution. And so there began to be these ideals and there's theologies. You know, this is their, I hate to say theology, but it's, it's their philosophy of life. And philosophies will um, lead you to life. Or they'll lead you to death. And the philosophies of the 60s, um, they called it free love. And they began to look at some of the older institutions and say, man, you know what? We shouldn't shun that as sin. That's freedom. That's free love. It's freedom. We can do whatever we want to do. But how many know free love isn't free? There are repercussions to every belief in life. And today you can go into a lot of churches, you can go into pockets in this church, you can go into pockets in other churches, you can go into the school system, and right now everybody generally agrees it's not so bad if you're having sex out of wedlock. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a sin, we should not do it. The Bible says you don't have freedom to do that. God will give you an allowance to do whatever sin you want to do, allow you to do it, but there are consequences and there are uh, repercussions to the behavior. So the 60s began um, to tear down the old institutions and say, well, marriage was made by God and we don't really have to be married. We can just love whoever we want. Uh, We can love as many different people as we want. We can be free sexually. And and the sexual revolution, how many remember the sexual revolution? In fact, a lot of people say it started in the 50s when young people began to drive cars. Cars became available, everybody had their own cars, and it just kind of blossomed in the 60s. And in the 60s also, we had a very strong current of Darwinism. And evolution and Darwinism began to say, hey, you're just a biological creature, you're just doing you know, what uh, you what a biological creature does. And, and they began to say that there was no creator, there was no purpose, there was no plan. We're just here and we're from a chaotic accident. A cosmic accident is why you're here and there's no plan, there's no purpose, there's no creator, there's no laws, there's no expectation. We just do what we feel is right. And we reverted back to the days of the judges where it says they did what was right in their own eyes. And then you say, well, man, what were the repercussions? The repercussions were that now we had lots and lots and lots of unwanted pregnancies. Millions and millions and millions of babies nobody wants. You say, well, they're just trying to save the life of the mother. No, they were recreationally doing something that was reserved for marriage. And you say, well, man, that's a woman problem, abortion. You know, studies say that it's more of a fatherless problem than it is a mother problem. It's both. Don't get me wrong. 
But because there is no man that wants the child, and because the primary, um, the primary counsel that a girl gets for an abortion is who? The man. She's not talking to family usually. She's not talking to parents usually. She's not even always talking to friends usually. It's the man. And so now in the 70s, what do we have? We've got an explosion of unwanted babies. We've got an explosion of women with babies who kept them and have no father. And so now we have a whole culture of people because we accepted a lie that sex before marriage is okay. And so now I'm just giving you a history lesson. You can look it up if you want. But this is where we're at now. And so fatherless homes, listen to this. You tell me if it's a problem. 70% of youth that are in state institutions are from fatherless homes. Now, I'm not even talking about homes that have a father and they have relationship problems with their father. 70% don't have fathers, period, in their home. 63% of youth suicides are from homes without fathers. 63%. This isn't coincidence, is it? These numbers, 90% of all homeless and runaway children grew up in a home without a father. 90%. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. Let me repeat that. 85% of the children that have behavior disorders grew up in homes without a father. 85%? are left, and I haven't even begun to talk about homes where there's dysfunction with fathers there. 85% didn't have a father. 85% of rapists motivated by anger are from fatherless homes. 85%. 71% of high school dropouts come from homes without a father. How many think that we need to be preaching God as a father the fatherless. That God wants to be your father. And here's the thing, when you find him as your father, you didn't lose anything. You gain more than you ever lost by not having one. In fact, you will appreciate God as a father so much more if you didn't have one than if you did. Does that make sense? I mean, you'll understand a good father by having a good father, but you'll appreciate God as your father more if you didn't have one. That's the truth. So how about what is it when it says, as a father has compassion for his children, what are some of the things that God wants to teach us um, about him as a father that we he wanted us to learn from a natural father? Well, let me give you some things that are, in fact, really these are more anxieties that kids have when their fathers leave. Just imagine your father has left, you come home and you don't know whether his car is going to be there or whether it's not going to be there. You don't know if he's going to be in jail or if he's going to be out of jail. You don't know if he's going to care about you or not care about you. You don't know if he's even going to be there at all. 
You don't know if they're going to be there to provide for you. You don't know if they're going to be there for any of your needs, any of your emotions, anything. Just imagine you're that kid and your dad walks out of the door for good or never shows up to begin with. So the first question that they want answered is, will my father leave me? Will my father leave me? How many have ever asked that question physically? Will my father leave me? Some of you have been in that situation. Will my father leave me? The absence of a father. There are kids that sit around and either they don't have one and they're they're thinking about God. and, 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 And the first thing you think about God the Father when you hear his name says a lot about where your heart's at. And so some of these kids are thinking about God as a father, and the first question that's going to come to their mind is, is he going to leave me too? Is he going to leave me too? But he says, as a father who has compassion and love for his children is, that's how I will be to you. And so they're asking, they're wondering if uh, God's going to be there, and uh, and they read a scripture, and they and it says Hebrews thirteen five, and it says, "I will never leave you, nor forsake you." And to some people, that doesn't mean very much, does it? Some people they don't really think about that. But if you're a person that is afraid that you're not going to have a father, may have ever been. I don't want to raise hands here, but how many have ever wondered, "Will I have the next meal?" Will we have money to pay the rent? Just imagine you're in a home and the father leaves you and abandons you. Church, I'm telling you, it's happening all over the country. We've got a fatherless problem. And we need to be able to have God as our father for the fatherless. So we've got to understand that God is not the type of dad that will leave us. We're not going to put our trust in him And then stand before his throne and say, you know what? I've forgotten you. You're not my kid. I'm just going to go, you know, away from you now. If we put our trust in God, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And God wants us to know that today. God wants to know that he will never leave us. What does that mean? That means that when your dad is a real dad, he's always going to be there for you no matter what. If you end up in a prison, he's going to be there for you. If you end up in your hardest times, he's going to be there for you. And I'm talking about a good dad that will never leave you or forsake you. You know they're always going to be there for you. How many know what I'm talking about? And God says, that's a quality that I have. You can count on me and I will always be there. Even if your natural dad's left you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that is a big deal. Hallelujah. Don't fall asleep on me out there. Number two, will my father protect me? Wow. Wow. You say, well, of course he will. Man, when I was growing up, my dad was the most loving person in the world. You're very fortunate because you read that and you don't even think about it. There are kids that have been beaten by their dad. 
abused by their dad, insulted by their dad, treated harshly by their dad, abandoned by their dad. And they're reading this and they're saying, God is a father to the fatherless. Will God protect me? And they're wondering, and God says in Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. Wow. Psalm 32.8, you are my hiding place, Lord. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. I think of songs of deliverance. It, one thing always pops in my mind. How many of you ever heard of the Underground Railroad? And how many of you know that um, the Underground Railroad was a passage uh, to try to get as many people out of slavery into the northern states? Um, they're trying to get them away from Democrats. I'm just joking. But they were. All right. I just want to make sure the history is intact and that's on record. But they were trying to go through this underground railroad. And they were singing what they called songs of deliverance. They were spirituals that all of them would sing. And how many know those songs were code words? They were actually giving them directions on how to get to the northern states because a lot of them couldn't read and write. So they made up these spirituals and they would sing in them. And as they were singing them, they were telling them how to follow the stars to the north. They were telling them what rivers to take, what banks to take. They were cold words saying, we're going to get you. They called it Canaan land, the north. And so they were singing about Canaan land, but it wasn't the Canaan land of the Bible. It was the Canaan land of up north where there's freedom. And I think about God is going to sing songs of deliverance over us. And I think about those songs of deliverance, and I think, man, Lord, I want to go home. I want to be home. And every time we sing a song, I could just hear God singing over us songs of deliverance. Almost home. You're almost home. Just keep listening. There's cold words in here. Keep listening. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. And so they want to know, man, is God going to protect me? And God says, look at a good dad and his compassion on his children and find out whether you think I'm going to take care of you. Can I tell you something? You do the slightest thing to one of my daughters or my sons, and you'll find out the compassion of a father who loves his children. You think I'm going to be calm if somebody tries to hurt my kids? No. Like you're going to awaken a bear that you never dreamed of awakening. And I'm just being really honest. I'm not like even being funny, you know. You say, man, that's scary. Move on. But God loves his children. But how many know there are many times that I couldn't fight the fights for them? They had to grow. They had to be their own people. They had to be their own men, their own women. And I had to recognize if I keep fighting the battles for them, they're never going to grow up and be able to defend themselves. And so we can't fight every battle, and God is the same way. How many of you know, like a father has compassion for his children, and he'll allow you to be tested, he'll allow you to be tried, 
He says, all that will happen to my children is for their good. And God is a compassionate Father that is there to protect you. And if the enemy came in and did anything that God didn't allow, God is so fierce, it says, that the demons tremble. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day, you may not realize this, but a demon manifests through people. And the reason, in fact, God told me this when I was praying the other day because um, he said, when you see them tremble under demonic um, possession, you do realize that's the behavior of the demon. How many know that? When the person is shaking and trembling, they're shaking and trembling because the demon is so scared of you. It says they know that he is Lord and they tremble. And so the enemy, we're so well protected as his children, the enemy trembles when we walk up. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Did you know when I walk up to a demon many, many times, the body of the person just trembles and they can't even look up at you? It's because they fear God and they tremble because of you. He says, I will protect them. How do you think it feels if... It's kind of like somebody's picking on my little girls, you know, and adults picking on my little girls. And they don't realize who the little girl's dad is. And then I walk up and say, hey, are you picking on my little girls? And they tremble. <laughs> they say, I didn't realize their dad was so big. No, I'm not picking on your little girls. And see, that's how we are as a father is compassionate to his children. So the Lord is compassionate on us that fear him. And so God is going to protect you. And a lot of people don't know that because they've never had a father who loved them that much. And God says, I do. You don't even need a father. I'll be a father to the fatherless. I will not only not forsake you, I will protect you. Amen? Number three, will my father provide what I need? When the father walks out of the home, you're thinking to yourself, man, what are we going to eat? I mean, no, there are a lot of kids that don't know where their next meal is going to come. They don't know if they're going to be able to stay in their house because of the rent. They don't know if they're going to be able to pay the electricity. There are lots of kids in this country, trust me. They don't have heat. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have a home to live in half the time. They don't have food. All these things. I know this, church. You know it too, don't you? We can hide ourselves from it. We can shield ourselves from it. But they're wondering... Is God going to provide for me? Because I don't have any clothes to wear. I got holes in my clothes. I got no food to eat, nothing in the pantry. We don't know where our next meal's coming from. I can't buy the things that are my essentials that other kids have in school. I mean, no, this is true. But some of you have been provided for. So you read that providing thing and you just you you just take it for granted. Like, well, of course God's going to provide for me. He always has, He always will. But what if you didn't have a father that was there for you and provided for you? And Jesus comes in and it says in Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Man, that means something now. My father will take care of me. I don't have to have anxiety. Do you know that some people grew up in homes where money was so hard to get that they have anxiety all the time. 
They have fear all the time. They have worry all the time. And what God's trying to say is, I'm not like that father. I'm like the father that has compassion for his children. Do you know that a real father, he'll give the shirt off of his back to make sure they have everything they need. He'll work endless hours to make sure they have everything. That's why I say they're the most valuable players. Because the mother is the most important player. How many know that? She does everything for him. They see her do everything for him. She has compassion and all these things, but sometimes you don't see that good dad because he's working his tail off because he wants to make sure they have everything they need. He'll give his life to work his butt off to make sure they have everything they need. How many know that? That's a good father. And he wants to make sure they don't go without, that they have everything they need. And God says, that's me. I love you. I want to give you everything you need. You say, well, why doesn't he give me that sports car? Because he loves you. He wants what's best for you, church. Hallelujah. He always gives you what's best for you. Hallelujah. That's why my kids aren't getting a sports car. Best for you. Some of the other things he provides. Adam and Eve sinned. They were walking with God regularly, had fellowship with God. They sinned. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They hid. They covered themselves. And guess who came in to provide for their needs? A theophany of Jesus. God himself came down, sacrificed an animal, and put clothes on them. He said, hey, I've covered you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to crush the serpent. I'm going to deal with sin. I'm going to remove sin. I've got the answer for sin. I've got the answer for hell. I've got the answer for all of these things. And I'm providing it just for you because I take care of my kids. Amen. Then he says, John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And why would my heart be troubled? Because I don't know if God's going to take care of my needs. Right? That's why my heart's troubled. I see the world and all the things going on, and I wonder if I'm going to have enough. Am I going to have enough food, have enough clothes, have all these things, and my heart is troubled by everything that's going on, and I don't know if I could trust you to take care of me, Lord. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, and you will be also, you'll always be with me where I am. Church, we don't have anything to worry about. This, this world is going to go on a little longer. All right? We're not going to be here much longer. And he's got a place that's better than anything I've ever had. He's already built it. It's like being an 18 year old. Say, don't worry. I've already built a mansion for you and a community over here. It's all set up and ready to go. Let me finish it. And I'm going to take you here and you'll never have to leave again. God has provided for you, and God wants you to have the hope of tomorrow. God wants you to have the hope of the future. He doesn't want you to live in this world where there is no hope. If you live in this world and the things going on in this world, you're going to be depressed all the time. But if you trust in a God who's taking care of you and who's built an eternity for us and is waiting for us to join Him, you'll always be happy. I'm always happy. Because I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about being with him. I'm always thinking about my family being with him. I'm always thinking about my church. In fact, my driving force for pastoring this church is, I want to see Pastor Rod's face when you all walk in with me. I want to see his reaction. In my mind, I think I know what it is. 
But I want to see his reaction when as many of you as possible can join me and he can say, hey, thank you very much, brother. Can't you just see it? Thank you, brother. You did such a wonderful job helping me. (laughs) I want to see his face. I want as many as we can get, and that's my driving force, is to take care of this church and as many as possible go with us. You say, well, man, why are you so hard on people? Do I have to answer that? Why do you have so much expectations for their life? Why do you preach the way you preach? Why do you talk the way you talk? Because I want you to be with me. Church, I want you to be there. I don't want you to be misled. Praise the Lord. Next question. Does my father even love me? Wow. You say, well, of course he does. My dad loved me so much. He bought me all the nicest things, all the most wonderful things. Nobody ever loved me like my dad loved me. He did everything for me. I was the apple of his eye. I was the most wonderful. Well, what if you didn't have that? What if you've got to be convinced, will he love me? And like I said, there are people in this world right now that are all over the place looking for somebody to love them. And they 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 weren't even liked or loved by their mom or their dad. I mean, no, that's true. They were considered to be a, um, like I put here, they wondered sometimes if they even liked them. They wondered sometimes if they were a problem or a prize. They wondered if they were an inconvenience to their mom and dad. How many think this is true? And they're trying to desperately find somebody who just loves them for who they are and would give their life for them. And they didn't find that in their relationship with their mom and dad. And Zephaniah says, 317, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. You say, well, man, that's pretty good. What else did he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. And you say, well, what do I have to do to be loved? This is the next question. What are the conditions of his love? Luke 15, 20 says, So he got up and he went back to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate him. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. See, a lot of you are wondering what are the conditions for my father to love me. And some people spend a whole life Because when they do good at things, their father loved them. But when they didn't succeed, 
they either truly or thought it in their mind, it either really was that way or it really wasn't that way, and they just thought it. They said, if I can accomplish things, then he'll love me. And Jesus says, man, look at this story. This young man failed. He took his inheritance while his father was alive. How bad is that? You say, well, not that bad because it hasn't happened to you. All right, imagine your children come to you and say, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my inheritance now. And then he goes out and he spends that money on riotous living. Some say that that means prostitution, blowing his money on all the terrible things that he could find. And then here he comes back to his father's house. You say, what are the conditions for my father to love me? Well, a lot of dads would have scolded him. A lot of dads would have said, never come back, you worthless kid. But God says, no, I'm like the dad who really loves you. And he said, son, you're back home. And he loved him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And he said, "And he said, you know, let's celebrate him. He's back. He was lost and he's found. He was dead, but he's alive. And God's saying, there are no conditions. I love you. I love you and I want you in my life. Whatever you've done, turn your back on it and come back to me. I love you and there are no conditions. He is the Father that loves us unconditionally. So what's he promised to do in summary? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, I will be a father to you. This is verse 18. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The God of heaven promises to be your father. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. Number two, he promises he will guide you. Say, so, well, how's, what means is he going to do to provide that? He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be with you always. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God says if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're orphans. But he says I sent the Holy Spirit because he will lead you and guide you into all truth. How many know the words of your father follow you all the days of your life? If you've got a good one and one that has compassion on you, you always remember the words of your father and the instructions of your mother. And he says, you know what? I'm going to put that father's spirit inside of you to the ends of the earth, and I'm going to be with you. And it's going to be through my Holy Spirit, and you won't be an orphan anymore. You say, but I've been an orphan my whole life, not anymore. Because he wants to be your father, the God of heaven. And the last thing, you're not going to like this one. In fact, the scripture even says you won't like it. It says, Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Amen, we did, right? (laughs) Maybe. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while the way they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen? 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time. He says, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for him who has been trained by it. So not only is he going to be your God, he's going to put his spirit in you and follow you all the days of your life, but then he's also going to be like a good dad. I wouldn't give a nickel for a dad that doesn't faithfully discipline their child. If, if And I'm not talking about punishing their child. That's different. How many know? Anger and punishment's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a dad that has foresight to understand that if they continue with that behavior, it's going to damage their life. So they don't have to like me. I'm going to tell them I love them, and I'm doing this because I love them. And you say, well, man, I wish my dad didn't love me so much. He's always disciplining me. But a dad that really loves his kids wants them to succeed. Like Bill Russell wanted his team to win, was constantly disciplining the players around him to try to win. A good dad will have the same heart. I want all of you to succeed. And God is the same way as that good father. He wants all of us to succeed. And you say, well, man, I'm going through something hard. I told you a spanking wouldn't feel good. I told you it would be painful at the time. But how much do you learn when you go through hard times? You say, but I went through money problems. That can't be God. Well, God said he would discipline you. Are you more disciplined with your money now? Hopefully. If not, you're going to get another spanking. Just like a rebellious child. And you say, well, wait a minute. I went through uh, you know, some issues where I doubted God. Well, did your faith get stronger? Or are you going to have to go through another spanking? <laughs> and see, God loves you. And if he loves you, you will go through hard times and you'll be trained by it. And if you don't learn... He loves me enough to train me again. And how many have been through that? That's how one way that I know my God loves me. Hallelujah. And you say, that's weird. All right, stand to your feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just, uh, can we celebrate Father's Day? To the Father of all fathers? To the God that is the greatest Father that ever lived? If we're going to be good fathers... We got to imitate him. We got to try to be like our Father in heaven. And I just want to give, you know, a lot of times we're always looking at God like, what can he do for me? I want to bless God. How many want to bless God? How many think he's, in fact, me and my, my little girls want to ride with me today because it's Father's Day. And I was playing that song as we drove in Good, Good Father. I hate to make a request. You don't have that, do you? No. But we were singing that song, Good, Good Father, and I can't tell you how good of a father he has been to me. I can't even begin to say how good of a father he's been to me. So let's just worship him. Amen.
that's who I pray to. And I want you to know who he is. And, and can I tell you something? The reason the fathers are most valuable players is because nobody on this earth has an ability and the power to lead a family to the Lord than the Father. To reveal the Father and demonstrate a lot of His attributes. And so it's very important if I, in fact I've said this to my kids before and I'll say it again and all you dads should believe this. If my kids know their Heavenly Father succeeded. If my kids don't know their Heavenly Father, I failed. Money, wealth, success, all these things in life, them in comparison to my role as leading them to the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to share one more quote from Elena before I close in prayer. Just because I like it and I think it's a pretty cool line. He was watching the news and they were talking about white people and black people. She said, what are they talking about? And her mother said, uh, what do you mean? She said, white people. What are, what are white, who are white people? She said, you're a, you're a white person. She goes, I'm not white. Because I'm beige. She didn't even realize she was white. Hallelujah. Amen. I like that. That'll preach somewhere. Hallelujah. White people and black people. She was insulted. Insulted her, insulted her intelligence. We should all have our intelligence insulted that way, right? Hallelujah. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Lord, you're our Father, Lord. You're always there for us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll always provide and protect, Lord God. You'll always love us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, bless each family as they celebrate their dads, Lord. Pray for a wonderful and blessed day, Lord. In your name we pray.